hey everyone thank you for tuning in to today's episode of emotional duct tape i'm Corey. i'm jamie and we are so glad you're here um jamie and i have been gushing all morning about how great <laughs> this podcast has been and um right now this episode is at the time of this taping we only have two episodes out but the response has been huge and we're thankful for everyone listening um jamie and i are just geeked we're so happy we're, we're thinking about, about it <laughs> it's been surreal yeah so uh what's what's the what's the high highs and lows been like jamie this week um so uh highs obviously um everything we've got going on all of the great uh feedback i've gotten from friends and family and you know, new friends on the podcast, really appreciate everybody's support. And also this week has been the kickoff at my company for the year. It used to be just a sales meeting and now it's extended to our entire company. And it's so cool to have everybody else involved. And, you know, we're doing it virtually, but it has been really a fantastic experience. We've had great speakers. It's been really inspiring. I've learned a lot. Um, nice to see colleagues that I don't get to see all the time that aren't in sales. So that's been the high. Um, and really, I haven't had much of lows this week. I'm out of pain, Corey. That's, I'm not in good. pain. Um, I got some new medication that is non-narcotic and very safe. And I'm just feeling really good. So that's that's my highs and lows <laughs> that's amazing you? uh yeah no it's been great um uh low my my son got sick this week he we thought we thought he might have covid potentially he had a sore throat and wasn't feeling great so doctor said no covid which is like became a low turned to a oh, high thank goodness yes <laughs> and then the other uh high was i got to be a guest on okay dad podcast this past weekend um talking about what it's like to be a dad and a lot of the stuff I talked about in my episode of the podcast uh, came back up again. So um, it's been great, but more uh, healing. Yes. More healing. Yes, most definitely. And a lot, lot more perspective on being a dad. So that's always great. Um, Today's episode, we have a special guest, uh, another friend we made on TikTok and um, I'm going to brag her up for a second because she's like Wonder Woman over here. Um, uh, please welcome to the podcast, Mariah Mitchell. Mariah, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to meet you. Um, I when, I when I saw your videos on TikTok, um, I, I was like, holy cow. In a good way, I'm intimidated by you in, <laughs> in the best possible complimentary way I can say that. Um <laughs> And then I show Jamie. Jamie's like, yes, we need to get her on the podcast. So perseverance, man. <laughs> before I, I let you take over the story, you were in a, a very, very bad accident. And um, the, the TikTok videos I saw showed your progress from uh, where you were when it first happened, recovering to where you are now. And let's, let's talk about this whole story. Uh, and I'll just have you start. Okay, <laughs> it's definitely a long story. Um, so my accident happened back in 2019. It was November 1st. Um, here in Vermont, we had a really terrible Halloween storm, lots of flooding um, and very high winds. Well, I went into work the following day and um, I work at a preschool. So I was working on the front lawn of the preschool, building the kids a maze for an event that was coming up. Um, just doing my own thing out there by myself 
when a I heard a crack and I had absolutely no time to react or acknowledge what it was. And next thing that I, I knew, I was screaming for help underneath a very large tree. And in that moment, didn't really know what was happening. I just knew that I needed to stay, stay calm and I needed to get help. Um, so I was screaming for help. And fortunately, um, a worker at a nearby business had seen me working out there that morning and he had just pulled back into the shop and saw the pine tree come down and realized, you know, he had seen me out there. So he came running within a matter of seconds with another one of his coworkers uh, and called 911. And it was a very fast response time because the fire department and the town crews were out doing storm cleanup from the night before. So everyone was already out and working. Um, so they got there in a matter of a few minutes, uh, which is very fortunate because if it wasn't for the response time, it, I, I don't think I'd be here talking with you guys today. Um, so they, they cut me out. And the really hard part about that, well, <laughs> obviously, um, but so I, I'm also a firefighter and I work with these guys. I'm, I'm in the next town over. So I have worked closely with the guys that were extricating me out from underneath the tree. Um, and the chief actually, I babysat his kids. So I was close with his family. So it was very emotional for me. Um, but somehow in the midst of the chaos, I stayed extremely calm. Um, one of my co-workers had come out. She was holding my hand underneath the tree up until um, the rescue got there and then they swapped out. And it wasn't until rescue was holding my hand that I was able to look down. I glanced down and I saw that my right leg was up and across my chest and over my left shoulder. And that is when I tried to wiggle my toes and realized I can't feel anything from my waist down and knew that that was not good. And the thoughts of never walking again crossed my mind. Um, and then I began to hyperventilate. And that is when things started to really escalate. Um, I had severe pelvic trauma, but on top of that, my ribs were crushed. So when I started to hyperventilate, my lungs were collapsing. So I don't, I don't know what that, from when I started to hyperventilate to when they cut me out, what that time frame was. I do know that they had me from when the tree fell on me to when I was in the back of the ambulance was about 25 minutes, which from me being a firefighter and knowing our response times here in rural Vermont, that is extremely quick. Um, and so I, I'm, it gives me goosebumps talking about it right now because if it wasn't for their fast response time and their fast extrication and careful extrication, I wouldn't be here talking. And later on, I ended up having a conversation with the chief and he, he said that if that tree was moved an inch in either direction, it would have killed me on impact. So as terrible as the whole situation was, it's almost like all of the stars aligned. And so they, they tried to 
they tried to call in a helicopter to transport me to the emergency room, um, but it was too windy, so that got denied. So they ended up transporting me in the back of um, the ambulance. And then, but, so I remember everything right up until they cut the weight of the tree off. And I remember screaming in the worst pain of my life. And that was the last thing that I remember. <clears throat> and then apparently I was having conversation with my parents and my boyfriend in the emergency room, but I have absolutely no recollection of any of that. And then I remember all of these hallucinations because I was in an induced coma for over a week. And so I remember all these hallucinations, not knowing if I was alive, if I was walking, um, just, it's just incredible. I didn't, I didn't know what was what. And then I woke up in the ICU and with a breathing tube down my throat and I could not communicate. I remember seeing my mom and seeing the nurses and wanting to talk, but not being able to. And which is a very, helpless feeling, very scary. Um, and then when they did end up getting, removing the breathing tube, <laughs> I remember saying, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and I barely could, I was like, wow. I was like, what has my, what have I been through in the last two weeks? Right, oh my goodness. One thing I want to say too real quick, I've watched you tell the story and like, I mean, just the way you're expressing yourself, I can tell that this is still really uh, a raw thing for you. Like, I mean, it's very emotional still. And I'm sure you told this story a lot already because I, I've seen things that you've been doing. But um, wow, like, I mean, Jamie and I are hearing this story, like in your term, in your words, and we're just, our eyes are <laughs> right now. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, but it, we, when you woke up, had you, did somebody tell you immediately how long you had been in a coma for? No, so I woke up and then the second thing I said to my mom, which was also something that was really running through my head when I was under the tree thinking I was gonna be paralyzed for the rest of my life is I said, can I still be a game warden? I have wanted to be a game warden since I was 13 years old. So for 10 years, that has been my goal. And it's a very physically demanding job. So I obviously need my legs. Um, and so that was one of the first things I said is, can I still be a game warden? And mom said, yes, I think so. And from there, I really had no idea. And I was on so many different narcotics that just so many different drugs that I didn't know what was what. And just in a different world, it felt like. Um, but from what I remember, no one really gave me any sort of inclination on what it was going to be like, what the recovery was going to be like. Uh, they had, once they had transferred me out of the ICU, they had told me that going to inpatient rehab, I would, it would be about two to four weeks. So I was like, okay, challenge accepted. I'm going to get out of there in two weeks. And that two weeks, that two to four weeks ended up turning into three plus months. Um, and it was just like, you know, to make 10, 10 steps forward and 15 back. And it was, it was a really hard time. So I was in an induced coma. I can't remember the days. 
but over a week and then in the ICU for an over a week and they had just gotten ready. They were like, okay, we're going to transfer, transfer to you to the floor out of the ICU because you're doing really great. And then my surgeon comes in and says, no, we actually have to do another surgery on your SI joint. Um, so they pulled me in for another SI or another surgery, which set me back a few days. And then they transferred me to the floor. And then I had, from there, I had a decision on where I wanted to go for inpe- inpatient rehab. Um, I ended up choosing Spalding in Boston and I'm not entirely sure why I might, I just went with my gut. Um, and that's, that's a whole nother story on, on its own if you want me to get into those details, but. So my, my next question to you is, so obviously um, you said when, when the tree, you know, you, when you saw your leg over your body, you, you kind of went into this automatic, this spiral kind of in a sense, because you were like, oh no, like this, that's when it became a little more uh, real, I, for lack of a better word. So when you're, when you're waking up and you're realizing what's going on, um, what's your thought process? I mean, can you, can you recall your thought process? Um, some people, uh, we had one person who was in, ac- in an accident on the podcast and they said, as soon as I got up, I was thinking about how I could, how, what, what steps I needed to take to be out of here as fast as I could. Did you, I mean, did you sit kind of in the darkness for a minute there? Like, what was the response like at that point? In the ICU, I don't, I don't recall what exactly was running through my head. I think for that period of time, I was really in a fog. Um, I had, I mean, like I said, I asked if I could be a game warden and I don't remember much after that. I ended up having an allergic reaction to one of the drips that they, one of the IVs that they gave me and that spiraled me just, it was insane. Um, that was another experience where I just thought I was dying. I, we had no idea what was happening. Um, and just a lot of hallucinations. And it wasn't until I got transferred out of the ICU and to the floor that that is when stuff started to really hit. This was about three weeks after my accident. And then I was like, okay, this is what I've, this is what it's going to be like. Um, I had woke up one morning and I said to my boyfriend, I was like, I got to, I got to talk to a game warden Um, because that's been my inspiration for so long. That's what fuels my fire is having that goal of this is what I'm going to do with my life. Um, so Lucas called a couple of my favorite game wardens and they dropped everything that day and drove down to UVM to see me. Um, and one of them, which he's, I, I don't even think he knows how much he has inspired me, um, but he gave me one of his patches off of his field training uniform. And I hung that at the end of my bed in every hospital I went to. And I remember through the tears and wanting to give up, I would see that bat, that bat, that patch at the end of my bed and I would push harder. Um, so that, that has helped me tremendously. And I still have that patch hung up in my, in my living room. So I see it every single day. That's, this is so amazing, but yeah, I mean, you seem like a very driven person, uh, just based on your personality. Yep. You're not in your head, quit it fast. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but that's amazing though, because, uh, I, I know you've talked about like on some of your videos about how you felt and some of the darkness and stuff like that, but 
it seems like this this goal of I'm going to be a game warden someday, and that was like your okay, this is my this this is my 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 finish line. And so how can we how can we do this? Um, that's that's so amazing. That's so special. They give you a patch, right? Um, that's that's so inspiring. And you know, I think when when we experience these kinds of uh, traumatic situations, we have two choices, right? We have a choice to either give into it or to push forward. And you've really, you know, found your light that is helping you push push forward. Um, but I also think that that light lives inside of you, obviously, <laughs> you know, you couldn't do it without that. But um, it's really, that's a really special thing to, you know, have gotten that support from your boyfriend and from strangers. So yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about, about the process. So um, you're out of the ICU, you're on the floor, but you're starting to go through this process of relearning things that are, that, that you've known your whole life. You're learning, you're learning how to move, how to, to put your, and you, obviously you're in a lot of pain. So let's talk about that healing process for you. Um, let's, let's talk about kind of what was going on in your head. And, you know, did you have any moments where you were like, I can't do this anymore? Yes, I had many moments where I wanted to throw in the towel. Um, and, and yes, I'm very, I'm very goal oriented. So once I set my mind to something, so the initial, the initial goal to achieve was get out of there within the two to four weeks. And I was going to get out of there in the two weeks. Obviously that ended up, things ended up happening. I ended up having to go in for another surgery and so that two to four weeks ended up turning into three months. But um, there were many times where I wanted to give up. It was, I was in so, so much pain. I can't even begin to explain it. Um, and pain is just terrible. It's really, and there are times where I didn't think I was gonna be able to go continue on. Um, there were many moments that I just wished that I had died underneath that tree. Um, particular, particularly anytime they had pulled me in for x-rays or anytime, any scans, um, that was a very traumatic time. They had to put this really hard board underneath my pelvis, um, which I didn't even talk about what, it, what was hurt in the accident. My pelvis was shattered. I had uh, trauma to my intestines. So I had an exploratory lap laparotomy where they went into my stomach, um, a 20 hour pelvic reconstruction. My right leg was completely detached from my pelvis. Um, so I had extremely traumatic injuries to my pelvis. Um, so anytime they had pulled me in for an x-ray, they took this really hard board and they would have to manipulate my body a specific way and shove that board under. I remember screaming in pain and just wanting to die. It was absolutely horrible. Um, and I, I, I don't even know. I, I think in those moments where I wanted to wanted to give up and wanted just to be dead, uh, which sounds 
crazy to say out loud, but that's how I was feeling in that moment. I just wish that it was over. Um, I think my driving force was how much I wanted to be a game warden and that I wanted to prove that to everybody who thought that it was impossible that I could do it. Um, I know this is, I'm sure this is very hard to relive. So just take your time and, you know, I will cry with you if you cry <laughs> um, <laughs> because I always cry. And, you know, I just, I know all too well what you're talking about. Um, and I, I didn't go through anything nearly as traumatic as you have, but uh, just that like, <laughs> and we can cut this out, Corey, but like that whole thing about the x-rays, like I last year was in and out of, the hospital and things um and had a lot of x-rays and things and it's it's such it, it feels like it's the longest time that you are sitting there when it's happening and you know you don't think about the fact that an x-ray like can hurt someone but it's not comfortable mris hurt you know all of those things hurt if you have you know trauma to your body and you have to lay on these hard things so almost like almost saying to you I'm like oh god oh I can't even imagine and it's like they don't I don't understand why they don't give you something to get through that at least in the hospital I'm, I'm shocked to hear this and I'm so sorry that you went through that thank you yeah, yeah it's I would yeah that was absolutely horrible um and then I don't even know where to begin <laughs> when it comes to pain, but uh, so I was in, it wasn't until I got to Spalding three little, like probably about three and a half weeks after my accident, they transferred me by ambulance down to Boston, which was about four hours, um, laying on a hot, on one of those gurneys, um, strapped down in the back of the ambulance. So that was, that was really horrible. Uh, somehow my medications, they messed up my medications. And when I got to Spalding, they were denying pain meds. So I was, I fell extremely behind in pain management. Um, so then I, it took days before I was recovering. So that, that transition from Vermont to Boston was really horrible. Um, and then my time in Spalding was really terrible too. There was a lot of neglect from um, from nursing staff down there. And so I was tossed around in the three weeks that I was there before I ended up getting sent off to the emergency room at Mass General. I was tossed around like a rag doll. I was yelled at. It was just, it was horrendous. And in that entire time, my mom was with me. She stayed down in Boston with me and she got to a point where she couldn't advocate for me anymore. Nobody was listening. Um, and she's like, Mariah, I don't want to make up your mind. I'm not going to push you to leave. It's your choice in the long run. But she's like, I can't sit here and watch this. I, she just felt so helpless um, as a mother to watch her daughter go through so much pain and not have anybody on her side um, from the hospital. And then I ended up getting really sick. I was sick for quite some time. I couldn't eat. I was vomiting, um, spiking fevers and and I remember I went to PT and then they hired me back into my wheelchair. And at this point in my recovery, I had absolutely no use of my legs. Um, so I was hired from place to place, which was extremely painful. And I wasn't able to use the bathroom. I had um, uh, a catheter and 
so they had hoisted me back in my wheelchair and I had this new pain in my right hip that was horrendous and I said something and we kept an eye on it we iced it the next morning I woke up and I tried to with the nurses they had to roll me to be able to go to the bathroom they had to roll me and then place me onto um, a plastic bedpan which was absolutely terrible with a freshly shattered pelvis to be laying with all of your body weight onto a thin plastic pan um but I couldn't roll it was so painful and the doctors didn't think that anything was really all that that bad they're like okay well if you think it is like we can send you off to get scans and I'll, and then it wasn't until I was like, okay, I got to push through this pain and do physical therapy. And I went to sit up and my blood pressure dropped in half. And they're like, oh gosh, we have to get you, we need to send you off to the emergency room. And they did tests and, and this, when they, when they got me, when they brought me to the, to the emergency room, the radiologist came in with the x-ray board, not knowing, clearly not knowing what my, my injuries were, shoved it underneath my pelvis and I think I screamed so loud that all of Mass General Hospital heard me. My mom and my nurse came running in and they're like, you gotta, you gotta roll her. You can't just shove it under her pelvis when it, it was just freshly shattered. Um, oh my goodness. That was some of the worst pain I've ever experienced. And they did all these scans, couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And then my, one of, finally, one of my nurses saw that my right incision was bright pink. So they checked it out and what was going on was I had a really bad infection um, around my hardware. So they had to pull me in for another surgery and flush it out. Um, and then when they came, I came out of that, I, my heart rate was extremely high. My resting heart rate was extremely high. So they had to hold me for hours and monitor me before they could transfer me into a room. Um, and that, uh, but my, I think my mental state was probably the absolute worst when I was at Mass General because I stayed, I went from making progress in physical therapy back at Spalding to completely just, it felt like I got, I made 40 steps forward and got knocked back a hundred. I went from getting, being able to get up, being hired and being repositioned to absolutely still in a bed for hours on end in extreme pain um and to make it worse i was there throughout christmas uh so and i think social media probably made this a lot harder for me because i was seeing other families enjoying their time and i was stuck in a hospital bed without the use of my legs in excruciating pain and i refused to go back to spalding because i think me being getting really sick and being transferred to Mass General was the wake up call that I needed something different uh, to be able to continue to heal. Um, that how I was being treated back there was just hindering my recovery. Uh, so I wanted to come back to Vermont and go to Fannie Allen, but the paperwork with the holidays, everybody's schedule was all over the place and it took days and they, you know, they would be like, okay, we're going to put you on an ambulance and bring you back to Vermont tomorrow. And then they come in and be like, oh, well, so-and-so didn't fill out the paperwork. So now we don't know when. And then it just kept getting pushed. And next thing I know, I'm in Mass General for two weeks with absolutely no movement. Um, they ended up pulling, they did end up pulling in a physical therapist from a different floor in the hospital to at least help me slide board to my wheelchair to help to show me that 
yes, I, I did get bumped back a little bit, but I haven't lost all of my progress. Um, so that was, that was helpful for my mental, from a mental standpoint. One, one thing too, I think that not people, people talk about often too, when they're going through recovery is uh, my mom, my mom was hospital ridden for the last three hospital uh, and a hospital bed for the last three years of her life in our living room. And um, the one thing people talk about is just the embarrassment of like having to like have everyone, you know, if I have to go to the bathroom, someone has to take me, you know, or I have to have a bedpan or all this other, there's gotta be a lot of like, you seem like, like I said, you seem like a person who's very much like I can do it myself sort of thing. So I'm sure you, it was kind of a lesson in humility in a way, um, a really awful lesson in humility um, just to, to be okay with, with that whole thing. So. Definitely. Um, yeah. I went from being an extremely independent person to having to rely on everybody um, for everything. And my boyfriend and I, one thing that just pops pops to mind is my boyfriend and I when my accident happened we had only been together for just shy of a year um and yes we were really close we were living together but he he stepped up and he was like he had to wipe me and that is something that I don't think couples will ever probably experience unless they get to an old age um but to have to have your boyfriend you know kind of you have to give yourself like up and let people take care of you. It just, yeah, it, it, it's definitely an experience. <laughs> but I think what's also good too, though, is the support network you had. I mean, obviously the nurses are professionals, so they can encourage you and maybe you can develop relationships with them like that are a little more like, Hey, you know, like you got this girl, but your, your, your family, your mom, your boyfriend, they're all rooting for you. So I'm sure when you had those moments like where you're like, I'm done. They're like, no, you don't No, you're not, you know, we need you around. So you're going to keep pushing yourself. Yeah. My mom, she was definitely my rock and continues to be my rock throughout my recovery. Uh, she, she's been through a lot of stuff too. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. So she is not exactly the same as what I'm going through, but a lot of the emotions that she felt when she was going through it, um, I, I was feeling so she could talk from that kind of experience and help me through a lot of the feelings that I was feeling. Um, I'm glad you bring up, you know, her grief as well, because, you know, that's something that I kept thinking about as you're telling the story and, and your mom is by your side. But sometimes, you know, we forget that the people around us are going through their own grief. We we have certainly been through our, our trauma and, but there's a different layer of grief when it's somebody that you, that you love and you have to watch them and you can't take it away from them. Um, so it's pretty amazing and a testament to your boyfriend, your mother and whoever else was there and is still there uh, in the fact that they could get past their own grief to be there to support you. That's, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, um, obviously like th there, there's a whole lot of dark spots in this process. There's lots of moments. I, one of your lives, I remember tuning into on TikTok, you were talking about like your, your depression and everything, but let's talk about, do you remember the, the first moment you felt really like positive or very good um, through the, the healing process? Do you, do you have like watershed moments where you were like, okay, maybe I got this. 
I would say that, yes, yeah. I mean, thinking back, I had a lot of, I had my mom record a lot of moments where I was making, I was making lots of progress, like sitting up for the first time that took a lot. And you don't realize until you lose it, lose your ability, you don't realize how important these things are to be able to sit up and on the side of the bed, to be able to stand and walk and do all of these things. And I lost all of those abilities. So any little, any little thing, I remember the first time I could move just a little, like just a little bit of movement in my leg. I was so excited. The first time I could twitch my toe, I was so excited. So oh, I'm so glad to hear you could twitch your toes. I mean, obviously you can now, but like, you know, the beginning of your story when you, you realized you could not in that moment. And so, I mean, I imagine that is really a pivotal thing and it is, it's so, it's something we all take for granted and it's, but that's like, that's incredible progress. I mean, and then forget about it. You've gone leaps and bounds beyond that. So <laughs> please tell <Yeah>. us more. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, every, every little thing and, and it's, and someone brought this up. I was showing, I think it was because once I was discharged from the hospital, my boyfriend, Lucas, he took off two weeks from work to be with me. And then the transition from him going back to work, well, I had uh, a caregiver that had to come and help me. Um, because at that point I was still, I couldn't, I couldn't walk um, very well. I needed someone there. And I remember showing her all the videos from in the hospital. And she said, you know, she's like, you know what I, I noticed out of all of those videos that you showed me, you had a huge smile on your face. And that really stuck with me because it's like, actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. As terrible as has been, I have stayed positive and I've smiled through it. And I realized how like all these little things, you know, one person could be smiling because they just ran, a, they just completed a marathon. Well, my marathon is being able to move my toe for the very first time. Um, so, you know, everybody's triumphs are different. But um, yeah, I just tried, I tried to stay as positive as possible and that, yeah. And now looking back at everything, it's like, yeah, I do have a smile on my face. Like two weeks after, no, I was still in the ICU and my sister was braiding my hair and I had a huge smile on my face. Meanwhile, I had like tubes in my nose and just, and yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's pretty incredible that I had, I've had the strength that I can to be able to smile through so much pain. Most definitely. Let's, let's talk about a little bit now, now you're out of the hospital, you're back home. Um, you still have a long way to go, but you've, you've come along so far. So um, it's, it's different, obviously going from a hospital where you're working towards something to where you're home, where you're still working towards something but you're able to do it in, in, a, in a relatively more familiar setting. Um, are you, are you going to like therapy at all right now or anything to help with the trauma that you've endured? Yes, I do have, I have a therapist. I, I went back and forth with multiple different therapists when I was in the hospital, they tried to hook me up with one and I was like, ah, I'm fine. And I think it was because I was focusing so much on the physical aspects that I wasn't addressing the mental piece and then I got home and same thing. They had warned me when I get discharged from the hospital, as exciting as it is to be back home, all these emotions come crashing down. 
And the first, I had set my goal, I had set a goal for myself before I got out of the hospital that I was gonna be able to walk from the front door of the fire department through the bays and into the classroom to surprise everybody. So I had to be able to walk that distance. And so the first night that I, I was discharged, I kept it a secret, I didn't tell anybody. Second day, I went and surprised the fire department. So I was distracted with that. And then the third day I went and had dinner with um, all of my coworkers from when I did snowmobile tours. And so for a few days, I was really distracted then everything came crashing down the reality of what I was living the reality of what my life was like um you know I'm I'm now in a house where I can't go up the stairs and take a shower I can't do the things that I did before like I left for work one day my life was you know just I went as as usual and didn't come back the next day um, so all of these emotions came crashing down and I hit a very dark place. And then I, I called my doctor and I was like, you have to get me help and you got to do it fast. Um, because I was, I was spiraling downhill really quickly. Um, and I met with one therapist. I didn't like her right off the bat. It was like, I was talking and there wasn't much input. Um, so I was like, I got to switch something up. And then they, uh, set me up with, a therapist from Vermont First Responder Wellness. Um, so I worked with one guy and then he ended up transferring me to one of his coworkers who I've been working with since March. Uh, but right off the bat, the very first thing that she did on our session was, okay, Mariah, take out your journal and write down three short-term goals and three long-term goals and then break them up into like what you wanna accomplish within the first month and this month and this month. And it was extremely helpful. Um, so like one of my goals was to be able to stand up in the shower. I had reached a point where I was, my hygiene was really, was terrible because I was so depressed. Uh, I had a, I had one of the electric chairs that goes up the stairs, but I didn't want to use it because I wanted to be able to walk up the stairs. So I would go a week plus without taking a shower and um but then i finally i got the courage i was like okay and i had that goal written down that i was going to stand up in the shower and i actually i was really irritable with the pain and everything i ended up taking my shower chair and chucking it down the stairs and i got into the shower and i stood up and i showered and i can't remember i i always listen to music and i had one song i think it was roar, roar i think by katie perry but oh, it was like yeah a really like uplifting song. I bawled my eyes out the entire shower because it was such a huge accomplishment for me. So having that goal, seeing it in front of me and I was like, I just did away with all of like the time stamps on it. Like <laughs> I was like, I'm not gonna work my way up to it. I'm just gonna go all the way and do it. Uh, and it was such a huge accomplishment. That's but yeah, amazing. I've been working <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I've been working with her ever since. And, um, and then it wasn't until approaching my anniversary date, that all of these emotions started, all the trauma started to come in. And it was like going to driving to my physical therapy appointment, these things were popping in my mind that I hadn't actually addressed. And so then I ended up telling her and we're going to actually get set up with doing EMDR um to oh, address awesome. address the trauma because I don't think even now 14 almost 15 months later 
I haven't fully addressed the the trauma of it, the PTSD and just everything. Um, so it will be interesting to see see where that where that goes. I love to hear that you found a specialized therapist. So something I did not know before uh, this podcast, and I'm embarrassed about it, but it's the truth. I didn't really know that there were really specialized therapists. I thought, you know, you could, you could go to therapy and I knew there were different kinds of therapy, but I didn't know there were different kinds of therapists. So um, I love to hear that, you know, your job sets you up with somebody who understands your profession, who understands, I mean, your profession alone is traumatizing, um, I'm sure. So to, you know, understand that and then understand what you went through on top of that is huge. And then to hear that you're expounding on that and exploring other avenues and other ways of healing is really um, very inspiring. And, and I, you know, look forward to seeing your progress. <laughs> It's so, it's so amazing. Yeah. Um, so how, so game warden situation, like how, I mean, obviously I'm, I might be jumping the gun, but like, is that, that future is looking even brighter now, isn't it? Yes. I have had very many people tell me that it's not, that's not achievable. Um, one, one person that comes right to mind is I was set up with a vocational counselor, uh, right right out of the hospital, I was sitting in my wheelchair having a conversation with her and she was telling me that um, that I needed to think about pursuing a different career because that was, that was not gonna be achievable, that I was not gonna be able to walk on uneven terrain. And as soon as she said those words, I just like clocked out of the conversation. I'm like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna tell me three, like almost, less than four months after being crushed by a huge tree that I am not going to be able to accomplish my goals. Um, it, and I kind of took, I like everything else, I took that as a challenge and uh, have that has fueled my fire. So, I mean, looking back at that conversation and where I was physically and where I am now, it's, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. Like I was walking in the woods yesterday a little bit, like my sister and I went snowmobiling and then I was like hanging up my hammock in the woods and I'm walking over to it. And I said to her, I was like, do you see this? This is uneven terrain. And I'm walking on uneven terrain in snow with heavy boots. And they told me back in March that that wasn't going to be achievable. And here I am. So who's to say that a year from now, I'm not going to be running again. And so I have set my goal that I'm going to be running and I'm going to apply for whether it's realistic or not. That is what I'm setting my mind to. Yes. Um, <laughs> that I'm going to be, I want to apply for a position next fall as a game warden and hopefully I'll be at a physical place where I can um, complete the PT test. So <laughs> all you will be. <laughs> All of these, all of these things where people tell me I can't do something, it just, it fuels my fire to work even harder and prove them wrong. It, it's like your personal motto is challenge accepted. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. This is so amazing. I, I love hearing this story. And I mean, I, I knew coming into this, I was going to be impressed, but now my eyes are like 
man like like what am i doing with my life now like anything uh, like anything i want to do like uh, so this is amazing so one thing we always ask everyone um with with our podcast is we say we say this phrase grief is and then we ask you to finish the sentence so grief is and what would you say how would you finish that sentence grief is I would say challenging. Grief is challenging. For sure. Yeah. I mean, because your your whole story, and I think that's profound because um, it really is like you have these moments where um, you're, like you said, you know, you have these moments where you were making so much physical progress and then having to like, you know, backtrack those steps. But even beyond the physical, it's the mental, it's the emotional, like it's this um, it's this, this process where like, it pushes you beyond what you think you're capable of. Sometimes it pushes you beyond you and you're a driven person. You're somebody who, who knows what you want, who, who rises to the occasion, but still, I mean, there's like these moments where, where it's, you, you can question yourself where you can doubt yourself, where it can take everything you are, the core of who you are as a person and make you doubt that. Yeah, but I think, you know, something that I, the, the running theme that I've pulled from, from your story is that the, the more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The more challenging <laughs> the situation, the harder it pushes you to, to work and, and, and achieve things. And I, I think that's so important to put out there to people is, we can choose to use our grief and settle into it and accept it and, you know, let it take us over or we can use it to do amazing things. So you've definitely done that. And we really appreciate you sharing your story with us and um, really, really looking forward to seeing how things continue to play out for you. I think we'll definitely love to have you on again uh, to check in and, and hear more about your progress. And one thing I want to say too, before, before we get too far along here is that um, your story, the progress you made, um, people are seeing your strength, not just people who find you on TikTok or maybe saw, you know, a new special on you or a newspaper article. It's, you know, it's, it's your boyfriend, it's your family. It's, you know, people around you are going to say, this situation in my life is rough, but you know what? Mariah had a tree dropped on her. And now she's going to be, she's, she's a game. And they'll go say, she's a game warden now. Like I can do anything. So, I mean, that's gotta be really, I, I hope you feel good about that. I want you to feel good about that. Knowing that, that your story, even with its dark days, you're inspiring a lot of people. Okay. I hope you know that. I, yes. I right right. Three weeks after my accident, I decided that I wanted to share my story publicly to inspire other people because for me, being able to help other people and knowing that I am inspiring other people to work harder helps me work harder. And I've been saying it a lot, like going on my lives on TikTok and like, I get so many comments and messages saying that I'm inspiring people to do this and that. And like what you just said, they see, you know, they're, they're struggling with something in their life. And they're like, well, Mariah is struggling with this and she's overcoming it. I can do this. Um, but seeing, you know, I get a lot of people saying that I'm inspiring them and it comes, it's, it's, it comes 
how do I want to say this? As much as I inspire other people, they are inspiring me to be like, there are days when I don't want to get out of bed and I feel very depressed and do want to throw in the towel, but I'm like, I got a whole crowd of people that are cheering me on and look up to me. And so I got to get outside and I got to do this, or I got to go to the gym and I got to do this just, and it sounds kind of, kind of cheesy, but it gets me up. Just being able to make a video and post it on TikTok has helped me so, so much. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that I have, I, I decided to do that because it's, it's inspired me quite a bit. All right. Well, Mariah, thank you so, so much for being here. Like from now on in my head, you're Mariah challenge accepted Mitchell. So that's like, you know, <laughs> like that, that's, that's like your wrestler name now, like your wrestler alter ego. <laughs> So thank you for being here. It's been so great talking to you. Thanks so much, Mariah. Thank you. And everybody listening, thank you for tuning in this week. And we will talk to you later. Hope you're inspired. (laughs) Have a good one.